I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. I'm a medical writer and patient educator who lives with a J-pouch due to ulcerative colitis. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 145. People who live with an inflammatory bowel disease are more likely to develop certain mental health conditions, such as depression and anxiety. But it turns out that the experiences from living with these illnesses might also lead to post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder. My guest is Stephanie Brenner of Chronic Illness Psychotherapy. Stephanie is a licensed clinical social worker who has experience in working with clients with chronic illnesses. Stephanie lives with Crohn's disease and a permanent ileostomy. She's also a cancer survivor. I asked her to help us better understand PTSD and PTS as they relate to having a chronic illness like IBD. She defines post-traumatic stress and why it can happen with IBD, what some of the signs and symptoms might look like, and what patients can do to address their mental health. Plus, she recommends several comedians that she enjoys who are exploring the connection between health and comedy. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on about IBD. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. I'm happy to be here. Excited to dig in today. Oh, me too. I'm really excited about this conversation. It is one that we, uh, I don't think I've really touched on before. So I'm excited to learn a lot more from you. But let's let the listeners know who you are. I already know who you are, but I don't matter. So uh, let's begin by you introducing yourself a little bit for the audience. Sure. My name is Stephanie Brenner. I am a Crohn's patient and permanent ostomate. I am also a licensed clinical social worker, which is just a fancy way of saying a therapist. I work in Evanston, so outside of Chicago, and I have a private practice called Chronic Illness Psychotherapy. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. It was a perfect introduction so everybody knows where you're coming from. So you have had a journey with Crohn's disease, as <laughs> I like to call it a, a journey because every person's is different. I'd like to know more about when you were diagnosed, what your symptoms look like if you care to share any, and then what the process of diagnosis was like for you. Great. Let's get let's get into, into it. it. <laughs> Down and dirty as as most GI disorders are. I didn't have a knowledge of any GI disorders. We didn't have a strong family history and I had a pretty sudden onset. So right after I graduated high school, right after senior year, it was very sudden that I noticed blood in my stool. So I was like, I need to tell my mom. Luckily, I felt like secure and safe enough to tell her. And she immediately took me to the doctor who referred us to a GI who I got a pretty quick diagnosis of UC. So at first they thought it was ulcerative colitis because it was just in my colon. Tried all the available meds for about the next year to, you know, lots of prednisone, everything that was on the market at the time. Mm -hmm. Nothing was working. Quality of life was going down pretty quick and got my three-step J-pouch, got my colon removed. So we we rearranged it around my school schedule because I really wanted to be like my peers and go to college. And 
So I had this J pouch and, and really was, it was marketed to me as I was cured Mm. so that I was done. Mm. (laughs) I know. Mm. Yeah. I was cured. It was done. And that whole weird GI illness world is behind me. What a weird year I've had. Uh, I soon after started getting recurrent pouchitis, then years late, you know, was trying to treat that over and over. So that was kind of the first tip off that the pouch wasn't that happy from the get go. Mm -hmm. And later got erectovaginal fistulas and abscesses. And so that was the tip off for Crohn's diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That was probably the roughest switch for me mentally. Uh, Tried all the medicines on the market at the time. I think it was like in 2012. Nothing was working. Got a temporary ileostomy because I knew what that quality of life was like. And I was ready for some normalcy. That bought me a little bit more time. And then in 2018, I did the total APR Barbie butt, made my ostomy permanent and got the the J pouch excise. So that's me in a kind of in a nutshell. It was quite the journey. To top it off in 2019, I also was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I had a double mastectomy that year. So I would describe this topic that we're talking about today as one that's dear to my heart, one that's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. One, uh, my relationship with my body is a complicated one, as I would affirm to anyone with a chronic illness or who has had to deal with surgery or illness, Um, but one that's healing, one that I see progress in and I'm passionate about it because it's it is so important to reconnect, even if we've had all these different traumatic experiences, surgeries, procedures that are really hard to integrate and make sense of. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. So thank you for sharing all of that uh, with me. Unfortunately for for you, and I'm so sorry that you've gone through all of that, but on the flip side of it, it means that you are probably the perfect person to dig into our topic today, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And people who live with IBD may also be coping with PTSD, but I, I don't think people truly understand what it is sometimes because of what goes around in the, in the, in the swirl, in the ether, and what we hear about PTSD. Yeah. Could you um, give an overview to sort of dispel some of the misperceptions that people might have about what it is? Sure. So today, I feel like I'm going to zoom in on medical PTSD. But in general, when you think about PTSD, when you've heard it in the media, we often the examples that come to mind are a war veterans, someone in, you know, a serious accident, victim of sexual assault. Um, In reality, there are just so many more kinds of people who have PTSD. Mm -hmm. So medical PTSD is kind of a subset, one of those, and I would consider it something called disenfranchised trauma. So it's not commonly acknowledged. There's something also called disenfranchised grief. It's it's a more complex form. It wasn't a one-time incident. Mm. It wasn't someone outside your body that did something to you. It's nuanced. It's this special kind of trauma that we don't necessarily acknowledge in our society Mm -hmm. because our bodies are us. So how could we be our own perpetrators? The medical team 
We are paying them to care for us. They're saving our lives. How could they be the perpetrator? So it's yeah. it's very confusing. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of books on it. And if you had to drill down to what is trauma, you ask a bunch of different trauma therapists, you're going to get just as many answers. Mm. It's the one thing that we can't all agree on exactly what the definition is. I would say it is being exposed to something that is extremely overwhelming. And then the reaction and the aftermath of that, that is trauma. One person can be exposed to something that is overwhelming and bounce back, be resilient and not have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Another person. So it's really in the perception of that person's brain and nervous system. That's all that matters. We don't argue, was that trauma or was that not? If that's how you experienced it, it's trauma. Mm -hmm. It counts. So I just did a training with Dr. Sasha McBain, she's out of Little Rock, Arkansas. She loves and studies medical trauma. Mm-hmm. I love her work. Follow her, Google her. I'll be quoting her work quite a bit because she's phenomenal. And this is like one of her biggest focuses. So there's something called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's also something called PTS, post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. I don't view it as that important. Either way, trauma is trauma. If we had to get nitty gritty as a therapist and figure out which diagnosis you qualify for, there are different instruments that we can use that are validated. Basically, PTS is a little less severe. It doesn't hit all of the eight criterion in the DSM-5, which is kind of like our diagnostic guide. Mm -hmm. It's basically the duration and intensity of the symptoms. How much are they interfering with your functioning? When a patient comes in and we're talking about medical trauma, I don't feel like it is super necessary to get into, you don't qualify for that one. And you, do, you know, I more just give the overview of these are some of the things to look for. Which ones are you experiencing? I really liked Dr. McBain's, her definition. Again, everyone's is different. For medical trauma, it's an event, a series of events, a set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening, and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning, mental, physical, social, emotional, spiritual Mm well-being. It's a pretty broad definition, and it allows... I would say for a much more generous, like I have trauma here. It may be PTSD. It may be PTS. It may just be some symptoms. Either way, we want to welcome that into the therapy room and look at that and say like, how are these symptoms affecting my life? And maybe I want to shift. Maybe I want to process through some of this so that it's not holding me back. The one piece of medical trauma that is a really great phrase that I love to stress is this enduring somatic threat. So the threat is inside our body often. We have, as someone with IBD, I have an autoimmune disease. My body is attacking itself. So the source of the trauma is within. I would also argue through all of the procedures and surgeries and things like that, 
the threat is also outside. Mm -hmm. It's the medical system. It's the knife of a surgeon. It's the, you know, the threat is outside, but also the threat is within. That is the most disconcerting, in my opinion, is feeling unsafe in my own body, like that it is attacking. It is at war with me. Uh, some people will come in and feel like I want to do couples therapy, like with my body, because I'm ready to just give up and divorce. I do not want to have a relationship with this thing. Mm -hmm. But realizing the thing is actually me. Mm -hmm. It's whatever pronouns I use, she, her, like she is me and she and I need to come together, repair, talk about what happened, calm ourselves. So one other one other quote that I just felt was so necessary that she had thrown out in her training. It is from a book, an old book, The Psychology of the Sick Bed. The body is the healthy person's faithful ally. The healthy person is allowed to be their body and they make use of this regularly. They are their body. Illness disturbs this assimilation. Our body becomes foreign to us. So we'll talk a lot about some of the symptoms, but it's just that feeling of I am separate from my body, my illness, my this disconnect of how do I how do I, I don't feel safe in my body. Right. I think that is all very validating for me personally. And so I think it will also be the same for other people who live with IBD because of the feeling that your body is failing you. And then also you need to undergo the, uh, procedures or surgeries or what have you that are not easy to undergo or are kind to your body. Yeah. But I'm going to ask you a question that I already know the answer to, but I think it's just important that we get to the root of this outright. And are people with IBD more likely or more prone to develop PTSD or PTS? So glad you're asking that. Yes. There have been three studies, and the most recent one in 2021 showed a quarter to a third of patients with IBD report significant symptoms of PTS from their directly from their disease experiences. So there are some factors that make you more prone to this. Mm -hmm. Female, being younger, less education, non-white, Hispanic, more severe disease, that's not a surprise, yeah. more hospitalizations, any sort of ICU stays. Yeah. It is more common than you would think. And it's just now coming into the conversation in terms of IBD mental health. We've been really looking at anxiety and depression for right. a long time, right. just yeah. like a lot of other chronic illnesses, mm -hmm. and now realizing this particular, I would argue that IBD, because of the stigma around poop mm -hmm. in our culture, there's this 
internalized ableism for anyone with an illness, but then you have this extra layer of, I've had clients describe it as this feels like an assault. I haven't been, this feels dirty and shameful. This is just a procedure. This is just an enema. This is just a suppository, but it, uh, it's that internalized feeling. This is dirty, wrong, bad, gross. I am unattractive. It, it goes really deep. So it doesn't surprise me that quite a few people are, it's showing up. And I think it will be a bigger topic in the years to come, just because we're going to want to be able to prevent, treat in the acute setting, and then also treat kind of long-term with the people who have it. It also has a relationship with patients. The more PTS you have, similar to depression, anxiety, the more can affect your condition. Mm. It can affect your behaviors, your compliance. So just realizing we have to treat the whole person because that's going to actually help their disease markers. It's not all in their head, but it does affect their pain interference, their fatigue, how much they utilize the healthcare system. When you have PTS, you can be over utilizers because mm -hmm. we're hypervigilant and under we avoid. Mm -hmm. So realizing like, wow, these things can really be playing in the background. If we're never assessing or talking about it, it's a pretty big gap. We need to, this is, this is something that we need to, it needs to be in the forefront, especially with GIs and having conversations just to assess. Right. A hundred percent. Sometimes we are putting out all of these fires, the physical ones in our GI yep. system, and then all of extra intestinal manifestations. And so mental health for sure yep. sometimes takes a back seat. And now that we know this, we know that people with IBD are more prone and we know some of the most common risk factors. What are some of the ways that mental health care providers help people manage these uh, symptoms of PTSD? You said that there were some tools. Can you give a sense of, of what that might look like? Sure. So the first place is just having that safe place to process the trauma in a very titrated way, tight, like a term from chemistry, where we just go slowly, little by little. We don't want to overwhelm and flood the nervous system. We do a lot of psychoeducation. What is trauma? Why does it feel this way in my body? Why do I feel this disconnect? Where is this fear? The biggest thing that comes up after trauma is avoidance. Mm -hmm. We do not want to go into that really overwhelmed state again. We never want to experience it. It is a survival reflex. So the, the work is to do slow, small exposures whether it's through journaling, writing mm -hmm. over and over, like narrative therapy, whether it's through something called cognitive processing therapy, where we talk through it. And then also, in my opinion, it's not, it, we're not quite integrated in terms of the health psych medical model and then the somatic model, but we need to help restore the trust that the patient has with their own body. Mm. So... It's not just talking about it. Mm -hmm. There is a nervous system kind of repair that happens when you do find some sort of movement. Like I've done some trauma-informed yoga. Mm -hmm. 
restorative yoga. It's very gentle. It's learning how to be in my body without just wanting to scream and run away. Mm -hmm. It's hard work. Um, There's other somatic interventions like called uh, sensory motor and somatic experiencing. There's something called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization. It's a hard one. It's a hard word. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which doesn't even go to the verbal level. It's something that, you know, the the therapist would need to be trained in where you are reprocessing some of the memories that are the most traumatic on a nonverbal level. Mm -hmm. It sounds a little out there, but again, these are things that have been studied for years with veterans and other PTSD populations. I would view those as really good tools that could be of benefit for people who are noticing these symptoms. And so as for practical tools that you can kind of do on your own or start learning if you don't have a therapist, one of the biggest things I start with is diaphragmatic breathing. You might have heard about it. Mm -hmm. It's used for anxiety and depression, also for trauma. There are things, if you Google grounding exercises, grounding meaning like, I just want to feel planted on the ground. I want my feet on the ground, five, four, three, two, one. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a flooded state, trying to really be present in your environment, there's kind of these like little exercises help you figure out how to come back, Mm -hmm. come back to the room, come back to your body. But again, I would say that that movement piece, somehow finding joyful movement, how can I move and be in my body without it feeling so exhausted or so overstimulated? Mm. Like, how can I find that window of tolerance to like, what brings me comfort and pleasure in my body? That's a very foreign concept. Our bodies kind of become medicalized, like we get poked and prodded. And so what? positive touch. Obviously, this is not in the therapy room. I'm not, we don't touch clients, but (laughs) what positive touch, like massage? Like, do you like to have a weighted blanket? What Mm. sensory things help your body calm down? What smells? What movements? Do you like to dance? Do you feel very restricted then like what pushing exercises? Can you push against a wall? Can you stomp your feet? Or do I want to have like the yoga mat out with, you know, a weighted blanket and just lay and feel the earth underneath myself. So trying to figure out ways to work with your body when it feels overwhelmed, underwhelmed, distant. Those are some of the things that I like to kind of give patients is like, try this at home and see how it affects your relationship with your body. See if it shifts anything or let's try it in like I have a yoga mat in my office I'm not a trained yoga therapist but let's try it and see what happens Mm -hmm. as we're talking about this let's try notice your body language so trying to think more about what is going on in real time in the body Mm -hmm. yeah that all makes a lot of sense and as you were talking I remembered to plant my own feet on the ground and not have them dangling and, you know, doing all sorts of things, you plant them on the ground, it is really a much better way to uh, engage, especially in a in a conversation, um, to have your feet on the ground in that way. Um, so it's a good reminder. That's like every so often you go, you're going through social media and somebody will post something that's like, hey, lower your shoulders right now. And you go, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, yeah, I need to be reminded of that every so often to, um, to, yeah. to be a little more aware of my, my body and what I'm, what I'm doing with it. And so in that vein, I think that these things can sneak up on us in terms of IBD, those symptoms in terms of mental health. So what are the things that people with IBD and then also their caregivers maybe too should be looking for, thinking about that would point them in the direction of saying, okay, I need to maybe get some outside help in order to deal with all of the situations and the emotions that are coming upon me because of what's going on with my IBD. Yeah, things can really sneak up on us. So sometimes our loved ones are one of the best mirrors for us, like they might notice it. Again, the things that have been studied a lot are anxiety and depression. And now PTS is kind of coming out as a thing to look for. Uh, there is, a, if you are curious about, do I have this? There's the VA, again, where veterans, there's a great tool. It's called the Self-Report Checklist, PTSD Checklist for the DSM. So if you Google that, it's the top link. It's from the VA, the government. And that's kind of nice if you want to just do a self-screen of like, I wonder if this is, I wonder if this is going on right now. In terms of other things to look out for or to notice some of the symptoms is this re-experiencing. So it could be these traumatic memories that are popping into your head at really inconvenient times. Mm. It could be uh, nightmares, flashbacks, um, some of the physical sensations that you would might feel around anxiety as well, like sweating, nausea, heart racing, trembling, and then the avoidance. So noticing that you really don't want to connect with your body. Mm. I, it is just uncomfortable. I don't want to think about that memory, that thought, that feeling. Let's not talk about it. And then a form of avoidance would be numbing. So how do everyone numbs? Yeah, It's a human instinct. We don't like pain. Mm -hmm. So how am I numbing and how much am I numbing? What am I using? Is that working? How much is it affecting my everyday life? And something that's very common with IBD patients is the, the hyper arousal. So like I have had so much pain, surgeries, uncomfortable experiences that I have this overactive alarm system mm -hmm. and it goes to fight or flight. And it kind of like the alarm just stays on because I've had so many layers over the years of these terrible invasive procedures. And there's also a hypervigilance, which just means you're constantly scanning for threats. Again, survival mechanism. We do not judge ourselves for this, but we notice it with curiosity or we say, Am I avoiding going to the doctor or am I emailing the doctor 10 times a day? Mm -hmm. Like, are we going to either of those extremes? And usually loved ones can know, mm -hmm. you know, how much is, of a toll is this taking on your sleep, on your enjoyment of life, on your ability to function socially? Um, so those are some of the things that I would look for. And it's not just anxiety, depression, or trauma. There's also something within anxiety, OCD, I've seen that come up anecdotally. So people who have some sort of routines around medical things because it, it gives yeah. them a sense of control. Mm -hmm. um, there's something called BFRBs, body-focused repetitive behaviors. I've seen anecdotally a lot of these. This is 
people who might who are who do some sort of repetitive behavior like picking mm-hmm. picking at their cuticles at their scar at at their scalp um knowing that a lot of the trauma is in the body of course that's like a way to connect but also it's not in a way it's a way that there's a lot of shame there's a lot of food related issues because so i i'm always assessing not only for kind of the big 3 of like anxiety depression and trauma but like how else are you relating to your body how do you nourish it how restricted where the fear of food and our mm-hmm. fit like there's so many things self-confidence what's your self-concept like it's it's all there with ibd we really get a grab bag of mental health issues <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't mean we're destined to struggle with all of these right. but as a clinician i would say there's not one ibd patient that's like oh it's normally it's just this it's really trying to explain all the different things that we may be prone to from the literature and also say, okay, which ones do you feel like you're struggling with? Let's start there. Even if it's not at a, a DSM level of you've met all these criteria and it's been for this long and you you can't leave the house. But let's try and ju- we all just want to move towards healing, towards a better quality of life, towards more integrated nervous system. So those are the things that I kind of, I go broad, yeah. even though I, you know, in the literature, I don't feel like we're, we're, it's a little more pointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Grab bag. That's such a great way to describe it. It's like the mystery box <laughs> that nobody wants. Nobody wants to know. Um, but unfortunately, we for sure have to open up this grab bag and see what's see what's in it and look at it and and bring it out into the light and so when somebody feels as though that they do need to start looking for a professional in order to help them figure out what's in this grab bag that they don't want to open um do you have any advice on how people can start that that process yeah so glad you're asking this is the good stuff yeah because there's hope there are people there are providers you don't have to suffer alone Oftentimes, I, I like to speak at support groups or conferences because I feel like it's it's hitting more people and it's decreasing the stigma. But but one on one is golden because this is your space to go into whatever. This is kind of your your protected time to just organize how has IBD affected me and my mental and emotional health. But not everyone has access to that. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a place where you feel like I really think I might be ready for some support. I usually tell people, depending on where they live, ask your GI. They usually have great connections with people in the community. You're not the only, you're not the first IBD patient to ask them, I'm struggling. Who should I see? I need a therapist. Ask your chronic illness friends. Yeah. And if you need someone, if you want to find someone specifically who deals with a lot of GI, there's a organization called Rome, as in Italy. So R-O-M-E, Rome GI Psych, mm-hmm. like psychology.org. So it's all of us GI mental health providers. You can search by your zip code. We're growing over the last, it's, it's a newer organization. There's not enough of us to go around. We're working with partnerships and things like that. So knowing it might be a long wait mm. to get someone who's just GI focused mm-hmm. and trained through the Rome Foundation. There's also Psychology Today, which is like 
Yellow Pages. I don't know if you're older. <laughs> you can just Google. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yellow it's Pages, of course. Just yeah. like, Unlike dating of <laughs> for the younger generation, where you can type in what you want, mm-hmm. your insurance, your zip code, and see these profiles and see if it matches. Mm-hmm. And you can check off chronic illness or chronic pain if you're a provider. So you can also search that way. Again, that's not going to be as GI focused. I would argue any help is better than none. Right. So I would love for everyone to have access to an integrated care team with their GI, with a GI mental health person and a dietitian, you know, like that is the model we're moving towards. But if you are not getting anywhere going to the Rome GI psych org, and there's no one that's taking new patients, or there's no one in your state, I would also say psychology today, you can also reach out to me, I'm going to give my email at the end mm-hmm. of just I'll try and kind of makeshift ask the network of people that I know. Um, it is quite a undertaking. So don't wait until it's an emergency if you can Mm. mentally, you know, just knowing that it, there can be a shortage just because there is, there's such a demand post COVID, um, of having a provider with an opening, but yeah, there's, it's worth it. It will help. There's also a lot of other resources. So the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies. That's what Dr. McBain does. So she has some like fact sheets for medical trauma survivors. There's books. So there's things if you're not quite ready or you're waiting to get into a therapist, Mm -hmm. there are other resources. But I would argue having a one-on-one support that can really thoroughly assess and kind of help you titrate through it trauma can be really overwhelming. So just know that if you're trying to do it on your own and you're getting stuck, there's reason for that. It's not because you're not trying hard enough. You might just need a professional. So no shame. Don't need to be the hero. Yeah. I love that. Seriously, one of my doctors said that to me not long after I was diagnosed. He was like, Good. Don't try to be a hero if you need pain management, if you need, you know, to yeah. more appointments with um, a social worker. He was like, this is what we're going to do for you. So I think I think he knew he knew me better than I knew myself at that time. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. So this is what you do all day, but you're also living with it in your own body. That's a lot. How, how do you cope with uh, these ideas of um, compassion fatigue or or burnout as you're as you're going through your life managing these your career and also your your personal journey with IBD? Yeah, my conditions. I mean, I had to post cancer. I decided to. I need to have a firm stop of this is the amount that I can do every day. And then Mm. I've played with it each year of like, I can have a max of X people a week or a day. I need to have gaps in between. It used to be back to back to back to back. Nope. Cause you can jam it in and just really maximize Mm -hmm. your client load. You don't do as good work. It's not also good modeling for my patients who I'm trying to teach these self-care techniques. Right. 
similar to self-care, it's setting boundaries. So having breaks, prioritizing time, meals, snacks in between clients, hydration. Uh, I love massage. It's like the one really safe, calming touch. So prioritizing those, doing the restorative yoga, trying to titrate myself, you know, like just being in my body, stretching. I love comedy. I feel like it's like the antidote to suffering. So I'm a huge, I love going to comedy shows and I did improv for the last couple of years, improv for therapist for my continuing ed credits. It was amazing. Wow. So anything that will get you feeling more like yourself, I have a great consultation group. So having other people who get it Mm -hmm. and who are in it, going to my own therapy, all the best therapists do their own work. You can only take someone as far as you've gone. So knowing if your therapist isn't seeing someone that might, (laughs) do they believe in their profession? I don't know. I would ask. I, I think it's an amazing profession, but we're never done growing. We're all human. And so realizing like you want someone who's in that place of, I don't know it all, but I'm here journeying with you. And maybe I'm a little bit ahead and I can just provide a safe container. But I definitely feel like my own therapy has been a huge, getting to go through it as a client, Mm -hmm. that gives me really valuable input towards how it might feel for the people that I'm talking with. So those are some of the things Mm -hmm. that help. Those are great. I um, I want to lean into the idea of comedy for a minute, because, for instance, earlier in the week, uh, I myself was kind of having a little bit of a, a down day. You know, it's like you yeah. do something big on uh, a Sunday, then on Monday, you kind of need to keep it a little more quiet. And that was kind of the experience this week. So I was actually just went to the Google machine and was asking it for comedy shows and movies and literally was just picking some things off the list. It's not my normal genre, so I really did. I don't have a go-to. Do you have any go-tos? What are some of the things uh, Mm. even I've read some really funny books, too, you know, so so what do you think like movies, TV shows? Is there anything that you um, that you love for yourself or even anything that you have recommended uh, to, to clients or friends or anybody else who's dealing with a hard time? Sure. I love Samantha Irby, who has IBD. I don't know if you know her. She's a local. She's from Evanston, which is where my practice is. We're not friends. She's a big, famous <laughs> person. She's amazing. <laughs> oh, but do you have a parasocial relationship with her? <laughs> sure, sure. I love her stuff, and I love the amount of poop talk that she does in the most irreverent way. So mm-hmm. I would say it's not a PG uh, or a, what would you say, a clean, a clean referral, yeah, uh-huh. but beware, but it's so refreshing and hilarious. I just saw her when she came to Chicago and talked about her latest book. And then one of my other favorites, because I'm a breast cancer survivor, Tig Natoro, both of these are queer comedians, but yeah. just the amount of illness jokes Mm -hmm. really gets me going that she talks about having C. diff, having, being in the ICU or double mastectomy, but she makes it in such a, you're laughing and you're crying at the same time because you can so relate going through PT and like with her little walker, you're just picturing these things and you're, you're also relating on like a cellular level, like 
I remember. So any, those would, I would say those are like my two favorites, but there's so many more. I, f- I feel like it's becoming the trend to talk about mental illness in comedy, yeah. but physical illness. Who, who else did I see? Um, Hannah Gatsby. Do you know her? She's um, from New Zealand, Australia. She does a lot of uh, around illness. So I just love any comedy that can talk about the bizarre world and the experiences that we go through and translate it to the rest of the public who don't have to deal with this. It's it really is amusing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) in some ways. And it does it does bring some levity to like some of the heavier topics, you know. Yeah, I imagine that that helps a lot, uh, especially if you're dealing with your own particular hard time at the moment, seeing somebody take it out and expose it to the light and poke a little fun at it. Um, Those Mm -hmm. are some great suggestions. You almost made like a whole listicle of of uh, of people in comedy off the top of my head. I know there's so many more. There's so many more. Yeah. Well, (sighs) We will dig those up and put everything in the show notes as long uh, as well as all of the other resources that you came up with, some of which I was aware of, but some of which I wasn't. So I love that Um, you're teaching me um, as well. And so in that vein, please let everyone know how they can find you and how they can get in touch. So my practice name kind of lengthy that's my email chronic illness psychotherapy at gmail it was probably a rookie move it's way too long and people don't know how to <laughs> chronic sometimes and psychotherapy that's the name of the website chronic illness psychotherapy.com type that in and there's a form that you can get in contact if you don't want to just email i'm on facebook but i rarely post mm. i'm busy i don't yeah so i feel like i do sometimes I'll go through spurts of posting different illness related content, but not, not in a way that I'm going to win any awards or do it consistently. (laughs) So don't follow me. Just reach out if you need anything. (laughs) Cause it's probably underwhelming to be like, Oh, she posted five things in 2018. Follow Dr. Sasha McBain. She's on Twitter Mm. or X or it is now, but mm-hmm. she has great links. As I was doing her training, I was looking at all. And if you are into medical trauma, I just am um, all the links, all the conversations, all the books and resources. So that she's a much better, better resource, but I am a great connector. So if you have needs and need to be connected to someone that can help you, I'm there. That's amazing. I'm still going to tell people to follow you on on the book face or wherever else, because even if the things that you were posting were uh, not consistent or whatever, when I go to follow you on that page, I'm still going to get access to everything that you posted in the past. And if there's something there that's yeah. that's relevant and that speaks to me, then then I can find it. And maybe we'll prod you to do a little bit more. I don't know. Um, sure. But in any case, thank you so much. You have taught me as I knew that you would. And then hopefully our listeners are coming away with a better understanding of PTSD, PTS, that they may be at risk, what to look for, and that there is a whole group of psychologists that focus on this, that are doing research. There is help and hope available for us. We don't want anyone to feel hopeless because we do have um, resources for them. 
So thank you so much, Stephanie. It has been really lovely to connect with you and I appreciate all you're doing for the IBD community. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Stephanie Brenner of Chronic Illness Psychotherapy for taking the time to explain the connection between IBD and post-traumatic stress. Stephanie is also an accomplished speaker for support groups and conferences. You can find her at chronicillnesspsychotherapy.com. As always, links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes and on my episode 145 page on aboutibd.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Mac Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. My air pod just <laughs> fell into my slipper. <laughs> that was it ejected. Amazing. Your AirPod is experiencing really- PTSD. <laughs> right. It does not want to be used for any of these purposes. It doesn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs>